There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready to be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognize, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. This week, I chat to writer, communicator, strategist, and mental health campaigner, Aster Campbell. I'll give you another thing I do when I'm really low. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll say to myself, right, I'm going to walk to the front door. And I'll walk to the front door. I'm going to open the door. Yeah. Right, I'm going to walk to that tree. Then I'm going to walk to the next tree. And then I'm going to walk to the next tree. And then I'm going to walk to the next tree. Then I'm going to see if I can walk to the corner of the road. And I kind of just do it like that. I don't say I'm going to go for a long walk. I say I'm going to walk to the next tree. And it kind of helps. It works. Alistair is probably best known for his role as the official spokesman, press secretary and director of communications and strategy for the former British Prime Minister, Tony Blair. Now he splits his time between writing, speaking, charity work and consultancy. He lives with his partner, Fiona, and they have three children, Grace, Callum and Rory. A self-confessed atheist who's obsessed with Burnley football, Alistair had a well-documented mental breakdown in 1986. But instead of going into that time during this conversation, I wanted to talk to him about how he's doing today. His latest book, Living Better, shares how he learned to survive depression, which I'm listening to on Audible at the moment and I'm loving. In this conversation, he talks about the importance of family and friends. We discuss vulnerability, finding balance, and he shares practical tips on managing depression, which I think many of you will find beneficial. And I started by asking him about a chapter in his book called My Depression Scale. Yeah, well, I mean, I call it my scale, and essentially it's it's just a little mark that I give myself every morning when I wake up, literally when I wake up, because I think I've used, not always, but often my mood will be dictated by how I feel when I wake up. And so I've got this scale of 1 to 10. A lot of people think I've got it the wrong way around because I end with 10 as suicide, and 1 is kind of delirium. You know, and, yeah. and I don't allow one or ten. I refuse to say one or ten because ten is act, the act of suicide. It's not feeling suicidal. It's the act of suicide. Mm. And one is a delirium that doesn't exist. You know, if if one existed, Brexit would never have happened. Johnson would never have gone into politics. Trump would never become president. Burnley would have won the Champions League at least <laughs> 25 times in the quarter of a century. Um, That's utopia. Yeah, it's a sort of unreachable, yeah. Mm. So two is kind of, you know, dangerously manic. Three and four is where I like to be. Three and four, I've got loads of energy. I feel good about the world. I'm positive. I'm 
I'm kind of happy. I'm, I'm motivated. Uh, everything feels great. Five is kind of where I'm beginning to just feel, you know, this is kind of what life is like for most people. Most of the time, you're just kind of muddling along in the middle. And then once I'm over the over the border of five into six, seven, eight, nine, it's like a downward, a bit of a downward spiral into the depression. So, and the thing is, it's it's a useful thing for me because I can move the scale hmm. sometimes. I can some when I'm conscious of being in a low mood, I, I'm conscious now of things that I can do to improve it. So it's quite a good thing to have. If I'm at two, for example, I've got to be careful. And I've got to say to myself, be careful, mm-hmm. you know, because I can get quite, you know, if you talk to Fiona, my partner, she tell you that when I'm when I'm manic, I'm quite, you know, got to watch out a bit. Um, and then at the other end of the scale, it's harder to move yourself, but I can still do it. You know, I've got little te- techniques and tactics that I can deploy. What would you, when you're, okay. ma- if you, you know, were in a, at number two, say when you wake up and you're and you're feeling that kind of manic energy, what, what, how are you behaving? What is that like? Oh, well, I'm probably getting up about four in the morning, okay. and by the time Fiona is up, I'll have I'll have written several thousand words, and so you know most of it will be okay. It'll be use, usable somewhere. Um, I'll have had half a dozen ideas to do different things. I'll have thought about contacting people with ideas. Um, and then when Fiona gets up, I'll be downstairs and I'll, I might be singing and, um, okay. then we go out and I'll just be full of ideas. And it's just like sort of, it's just like a torrent of ideas that come to me. And like uh, to some people that might sound like their dream day, <laughs> waking up and being uber pro- productive, but I suppose yeah, it's an overload yeah, of energy. I love it. Okay, love okay. It. But it can, it is usually, in fact, it's almost always the heart, the, the, the preface to to a plunge. Okay. Because it's, you can't, you can't sustain, it. sustain it. Um, mm. So, yeah, but, you know, listen, I don't knock it. Uh, I think it is difficult to live with. Fiona says it's quite, you know, it can be, it, she says I'm a lot of fun when I'm like that. But she's also worried that I'm going to just go over the top a bit. Uh-huh. And like, so for example, if I'm out and about, and I don't know, you might get into, you know, you, you might get into an argument with somebody in, a, in the public. And normally, when I'm kind of four, five, six, had an incident at the weekend, actually, where somebody was trying to have a go and get an argument going. And I just thought, this guy is a complete knob. He's really trying to, he wants to have it. He wants to get a big thing going. He probably, you know, he's probably got a mate somewhere filming it. And, mm. and I was very good. I just said, listen, I don't want to, I can't be bothered with this. I'll see you later. And I just walked away. Whereas if I'm at two, I'm likely to get absolutely, you know, up for it. And I won't step back and I won't take, you know, I won't listen to any bullshit and, Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of mixed blessing really, but listen, I wrote, I wrote, a lot of my best work is done when I'm in the, either, at either end of the scale. Uh, I wrote a novel when I was maybe two and a half and I wrote it in about eight days. Okay. Um, wow. you know, so it's, yeah, it's not, it's not entirely to be knocked, but it's a bit dangerous. And when you come out the other side of it, say if you're in that two zone for a period of a week or however long it is, when you come out the other side of it, are you aware of the time that has passed? As in, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But okay. then, then you start to feel. I had a really bad one during the first lockdown when I was. I mean, it sounds funny now, but it was a bit crazy at the time. I was wandering around Hampstead Heath with Fiona, hmm. and I have this thing. I've written about this in the book. When I'm, I can whether I'm depressed or I'm not, I can sing and describe the, the surroundings where I am at any time to the tune of Flower of Scotland. Okay. Right? Okay. okay. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, so, you know, oh, flower of... So, like, now, if I'm talking to you, oh, flower of Sheila, <laughs> yeah. will we talk? You know, I can do it. Well, I it's a great song. Right. So I can do that. Yeah. And so I was wandering around Hampstead Heath singing that tune to Fiona and describing all the things that we were seeing and all a bit wacky. And she got bored with that and she was getting a bit irritated. So then I started doing it to national anthems. I did 
to other national anthems that are the French, the American, <laughs> the Russian, the South African, the Italian, all the great national anthems. And then when we got back home, uh-huh. I did I did it to God Save the Queen, <laughs> but I did it where pretending I was Boris Johnson to see <laughs> how much I love Dominic Cummings. Um, oh, flower of Dom. Uh, no, 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 God save, God save our gracious Dom. Long live our noble Dom. Oh, I love Dom. Uh, send him to face the press. That will clear up the mess. Like Prince Andrew at Pizza Express, God save our Dom. So... You have to record an album. Yeah, but however... So that would have been okay, yeah. but for whatever reason, I decided to do it wearing a suit because I was pretending to be Boris Johnson. <laughs> I got a picture of the Queen behind me, and I wore, this was the tipping point, I'm afraid, okay. I wore my brother's Scots Guards tie and okay. his medals mm. from when he was in the army. And, of course, you just don't do that. You don't wear other people's medals if you're not, you know, you didn't get them yourself. Mm. And anyway, it just absolutely kicked off on social media. Johnny Mercer, who's the UK defence minister, he had a go. I then was in, because I was in that mood, I was right into it. You can fuck off and I'll do, you know, what do you know? What do you care about? You know, blah, 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 blah. And then I got, a, it's very important to have good friends. And I, I had a, a guy of my, used to work for me called Martin Sheehan, mm-hmm. worked in Downing Street and he phoned me up and he, he always, always called me Gaffer, okay? Mm-hmm. And he said, Gaffer, do us a favor, put your phone off. Mm-hmm. And that was when I knew. And I thought, oh God, yeah, I've overstepped again. Um, and then what happens is you go into a kind of, you, you literally go down the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, then I was into a kind of depression. Um, but I'm a lot better than I was. I really am. And, and actually helping the book helped me a lot. Writing yeah. the book helped me a lot because I think working out strategies. You know, Marilyn Monroe once wrote a poem called Think in Ink, and I think in ink. Mm. I think part of writing the book was all the stuff that I've done with the psychiatrist, with exper- different experiments, different approaches. I think writing it through in the way that I did just helps me deal with it. So, yeah, when I go down now, I uh, it doesn't always work, but I've got loads of different strategies that I use. And you mentioned friendship there. I mean, I know your, you know, your family and your core friends are, are everything to you, really. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, they, they are, but I also, friendship can also go with work. You know, I mean, a lot of my I think a lot of people find this. A lot of my closest friends are people that I've worked really closely with. Mm. So, like, you know, and, and I've, you know, I've written a chapter in the book about grief because I've lost a lot of friends. I mean, my best friend, when I was a journalist, he died in his 30s. One of my best friends from university died in his 40s. Mm. Uh, both of my brothers are dead. Uh, Philip Gould, who was my closest friend in politics, he died in his 60s. You know, I've had a lot of close friends that, have, that I've lost, and... Um, it's quite funny actually. My my kids sometimes say to me, "Dad, have you got who's your best friend?" And I said, "I don't know. They're all, you know a lot of them have died." Um, but I do think friendship and 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 yeah, I think that and and your family and and and, and you know the truth is, I think there've been times in my professional life when I've when I've put that at risk. You know, yeah. Um, because you do, you just, you know, you, you work, when, you, when you're working full on, it's, I think we kid ourselves about how much we can give to our families when we're absolutely obsessed with, you know, with work. Mm. And it's hard to find that balance. Yeah, I've got better at it, but, yeah. you know, they're all yeah. grown up now. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I've, I've got better at it, definitely. And I think, you know, the, listen, I'm just, I'm conscious of how incredibly lucky I am that in that I can make my you know my, my my work and my life they can you know it's about work-life balance i kind of have the two in tandem so like you know i've just spent the weekend i like walking and i love scenery well i've just made a t- just made a, t- a tv film about walking really yeah so you know and i can you can do stuff like that yeah. and, and 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 that's you know i'm very lucky like that well it i suppose it's all about your your perspective or your attitude on it. But listening to you there speak about um, your brothers who passed away, your your friends, you've experienced a lot of grief. I mean, both my brothers died in, you know, at the same age, 62. Yeah. Um, so that is quite young. Um, 
both my parents dead. Yeah, quite a lot of close friends. Um, so yeah, but I think that, <clears throat> funny enough, I had a, I had a message last night from a friend who whose mother had died, and I, I didn't know the mother. Hmm. Um, and I do find myself. It's funny how words are so important. And funny enough, on this walk that I did at the weekend up in Yorkshire, there was a there was a memorial. You know these memorial benches where you put. Mm. messages about people and there was one of them I saw it said life is not forever but love is mm. and I found myself I found myself saying that to this woman <clears throat> you know about and and, and the, the famous quote from 9-11 <clears throat> when um when you know we we were Tony Blair was prime minister we went yeah. out to New York uh there was this big church service and there was a message from the queen we took a message from the queen and the message was grief is the price we pay for love yeah. And I, I do think that. I think if you've got, you know, if you think about losing people, um, you know, why why is it painful? The reason it's painful is because you love them. And that is, uh, so I think that concept of grief is the price we pay for love. And if you marry that to life is not forever, but love is. Um, so if I think about the people that I've lost, you know, I still love them and I still feel their love. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think if you don't have that, particularly if like me, you're an atheist, you don't, how the hell do you make sense of it if you don't have that? Mm. And is that, is that how you make sense of it? I think so. I think it's that, you know, they're, they're still around because their memories are still there and, and they're, you know, if you take your own parents in particular, you know, who literally made you, mm. um, and, you know, you've still got part of them in you that is, you know, and you're passing that on to the next generation. I think otherwise there's no... And my sister, there's only the two of us left now, the six of us, there's only me and my sister left, and she is she is a big believer in... in I mean, she's a major Christian. Mm. And, um, you know, she's she's got that. that. that That is what gives her life meaning. Well, if you haven't got that, you know... Where do you get meaning from? And I think you get it, I think, in terms of something like people dying and the grief that you feel. The grief, in a sense, is the meaning. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that is what makes those people real and it's why they matter and it's why you, you know, it's why you never want to forget them. Yeah. I've heard you speak about yourself as, because um, you've mentioned it there, that you're an atheist, and you've described yourself as a pro-faith atheist, which I which I love the sound of because I suppose it says a lot about about you that you're open-minded and not judgmental about what people are into and if your own sister has has a deep faith and you on the other hand while you may not believe in in the concept of god you're 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 open enough that you're okay with whatever anyone's into am I right in saying that yeah, up to the point where I don't, I, I'm not up to it where it involves, you know, people thinking that because your faith is great and somebody else's faith, you should go around killing the people who don't have that faith. Sure. Um, but in terms of, of, yeah, what I mean by pro-faith atheist, I don't like this whole kind of, you know, anti-religion thing. I think religion is, and faith has been such a big part of civilization and and you can argue, sure, you can look at the Middle East and you can think, well, religion's a part of that. You can look at Northern Ireland and the kind of, you know, the troubles and think, well, religion was a part of that. But that is because it's been a part of the world and civilization as it's developed. But I can't stand this kind of, you know, anti-God thing, um, anti-religion, anti-faith. So, yeah, I'm a pro-faith atheist. I don't have it. I'll, you know, I'm, when I think about my brother, Donald, in particular, he... He sort of he had a kind of loose faith of sorts, which became much stronger as he was getting older, and maybe as he understood that he was he was probably going to die. And you know, I could see what it gave him, and 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 I liked the fact that he got that out of it, that he got that out of it. So, hmm. um, you know, and it's funny because um, I've got lots of friends who are, including atheists, who are convinced I'm going to find God and I'm going to become. <laughs> I remember Tony Blair always used to say he said he said the trouble is if you found religion you'd be you'd be an Islamic fundamentalist. <laughs> no, so I, I I do um I do appreciate other people's faith and I, and I don't decry it at all. Mm. 
Have you ever had a moment where you've gone, maybe, maybe there is something? Oh, yeah, lots. I've okay. had lots of those moments. Yeah, definitely. And I've had them, but I'd call them spiritual. You know, I've had lots of what I would define as deeply spiritual moments. And I have had moments where I've thought, you know, I feel something and I think, is this what, when my sister talks about, you know, seeing the light, is this what it means? But then when I talked about it, she said, no, 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 if you have to ask the question, then it's not, that's not it. But I think that thing about it, it's like when you see, I know it's different because, America is a, you know, American politics, you kind of have to do this thing about God and what have you. But, but I get the sense that Joe Biden's faith actually will help him as mm. president. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I certainly don't want him to deny him that. Uh, and it, you feel it from him, regardless of what your own faith is or whether you have a faith at all. Um, I think it's the decency that you feel when he speaks. Yeah. I think that speaks to people. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Whereas, you know, saw Trump doing that hideous photo call with the Bible when the Black Lives Matter thing was going on. I mean, you just, yeah. you know, you know, there's no, there's no real faith there. No. And people just feel it. They, they you know, yeah. it's like with the conversations that, that, that often I have on, on this podcast, people resonate with, with realness. And as long as people are just, and this is what you're all about, which is that you're completely at ease with the person you are. You're very comfortable wearing your vulnerabilities, um, which is a very powerful thing. And I think uh, it gives permission to others to to be OK with being themselves. And, and mm. people connect with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking about your brothers, both passing away at the age of 62. And am I right in thinking you're 63 now? Yeah, made it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you if it wasn't an insensitive question to ask. But is that something that goes through your mind? To be honest, it became a bit of a joke within the fam within the kind of extended family. Right. About whether we're all going to pop our clogs at 62. So but it was I never wor I never I never genuinely worried about it. Okay, um, cool. I because, you know, partly because I have come to terms with my own mental health and also because I take great care of my physical health. Whereas I'm afraid neither of my, neither of my brothers did. I mean, Donald, my elder brother, he had, he he, had, he got he got a rough deal in life. He was diagnosed as having schizophrenia when he was in his early twenties, um, and th that's a tough that's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Um, and a, and you know he had, he had a really good life in lots of different ways. He was an amazing guy, great musician, uh, really good bagpipe player. Had more friends than any of you have ever met. He. He drove his own car. He owned his own flat. He, he looked after himself. Uh, he had a job, but it's a tough, tough thing. And and um, and also the drugs that you take to keep the keep the voices at bay and you know keep your head on a reasonably even keel are very, very strong. And it means that your immune system isn't so great. And then my second brother Graham, he just was a I don't know. He never made the most of himself, really, and 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 in a, in he had a lot of potential. He was bright. He was smart. He was, you know, he, he had a lot going for him. But he just never really made the most of it. And he lived a pretty, pretty dissolute life in some ways. And and uh, um, you know, and it's so. I've, I've, I'm interested in the whole thing about about addiction and. Uh, mm. You know, it's so he, he he like he couldn't he just couldn't stop smoking, mm. and uh, he had both his legs off, both his legs uh, amputated. Yeah, and I can remember it was freezing cold. He was in this home at the end. It was freezing cold outside, and he uh, I went off to go, go and check something out in the place or see the doctor or something and. And I came back, and there, and, and I just watched him. He was he was fighting to get out of bed, to get himself into his wheelchair, to wheel himself out, to light a cigarette in the freezing cold. I mean, it was honestly you didn't even want to stand outside. Never mind. And I thought, God, there's absolutely no point ever if if it's so deep that he cannot not smoke, that he'll do it in these circumstances. You know, I've got to stop nagging him about it. Mm. Um, so he, he sort of, you know. It was when and when he when he had his double amputation, 
Mrs. and I were there with sort of with the doc, with the porters as they were wheeling him down to the theatre. And, he, and he, Graham said, you know, he said, here we go, one for the booze, one off for the booze, and one for the fags. And uh, I'm afraid there was a lot of truth in that. Well, Donald was different, actually. Donald, Donald, I think, if it hadn't been, I know this is a big if, but if it hadn't been for the schizophrenia, uh, he he kind of did make lots of change, and and and, but he still died young. Whereas Graham, I think, died young because he didn't make change. Okay, and like you have gone through some serious changes. Um, are you at a phase now in your life where, you know, it seems like you're in a, in a, in a good place d- despite living with depression, despite waking up in the morning and, and, you know, picking that number on the scale. It sounds like, you know, you're in a place where you get to do what you want to do on your terms. I'm, de- I'm definitely in a better place. I'm, I'm, I'm also very frustrated, though, because I, 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 a part of me wonders if I've got to that at the expense of pulling back from other stuff that maybe I should still be doing, which okay. is like, you know, um, I mean, my own psychiatrist, who I still see from time to time, and yeah. his view of me is that I live in permanent conflict between self and service, or, you know, not to put a, find a point of it, it's saving. When I'm crazy, I think I can save the world. When I'm in that two state, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I can save the world and I, I can persuade myself I can save the world. And when I'm in a depressed phase, I can persuade myself that it is absolutely my fault that Brexit happened and it's absolutely my fault that we're not dealing with climate change. And so... Right, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he will say that's crazy. And then, which it is on one level, but then on the other level, I can go out and I could do a talk in in Dublin and I could get introduced to saying, you know, and I've heard this, and I'm not saying this is true, by the way, I'm just saying that people will say, well, this is the guy who, you know, helped Tony Blair win the election. And without that, we wouldn't have had the Good Friday Agreement. Without that, we wouldn't have had this, that and the other. Mm. So, you know, I, and I can say to my psychiatrist, yeah, but what, what if it's true? What if I can do things to change the world? And mm. he'll say, no, 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 that's your demon. That's your demon. Focus on the things you can do for yourself, blah, 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 blah. So, and is that ego? Do you think? I think it's a little bit of ego. I think a lot of it's ego, but but also it might. But I think also that there is something in it that you know it is the world is the world does change because people make it change. Yeah. So yeah, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. It's ego and and um, and I think maybe it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You. you you want to, we all want to find purpose in our life. So, you know, it's a great purpose to have to think, you know, I can change the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't think that, then maybe you stop. I think you do that. So I think, yes, I've got to a better place. But at the same time, I think some days I wake up and I think I'm sort of just wasting my life. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing enough. And yet, when you look back at your your career and what you've done and what you continue to do and how... Your words help people, certainly. You know, the work you're doing around mental health is is changing. It's changing people for the better, and it really it really is. Can I ask, um, what number did you wake up with this morning? Four. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I was, when I was, I was listening to that section of your audiobook, I'm not going to lie, I was like, mm. I wonder, I wonder will yeah, I get... You'd have got a different sort of interview. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. hey, whatever would have happened would have happened. As long as you turned up, I would have been delighted. Um, yeah, exactly. You know? I would definitely have um, turned up. Yeah, really, if yeah. Was, if I was nine, I'd probably just send you an email and say, look, something's come up. Not able, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, but I would have done it eventually. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if you wake up and you're at the the seven, eight, nine or whatever, what, what, what do you do? What can you do that might, because you've spoken about being able to manipulate or change, I mean, not manipulate, but ch- alter your position on the scale. What do you do? What do I do? So the first thing I do is I'm, I, I tell Fiona straight okay. away. I say I feel really shit. Um, so at least I'm, you know, it's out there. Mm. Uh, the next thing is... 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I, I, I do force myself to get out of bed. Um, yeah. Sometimes I don't, but that is what I try to do. I'll tell you something. I think a lot of men will identify with this. Funny enough, I did a, I did a chat with G with for GQ with Sadiq Khan, the London Mayor, the other day. Yes. And he said he'd been struggling through um, lockdown a bit and getting a bit sort of. He called it melancholic, but I know what he meant. Mm. And um, he said the same as me that shaving becomes really difficult. Stuff that is just kind of routine and why do I want to shave? So I try to shave. Mm. Um, I've got a I've got a blind on the landing, and I lift it, and that that is I know it sounds ridiculous, but if I do that, I think well I've done that. I can do other stuff as well. And then there's things like, you know, making sure you eat well, and sometimes you just have to eat even if you don't feel like it. You've just got to give yourself that energy. Mm. Um, and then I'll do exercise, and like you know, if if maybe I'm when I went to bed, I was thinking, oh, I'll go for a one hour run tomorrow. Or maybe do a really long run, or I'll go for a long bike ride. I think, okay, well, I can't do that, but I've got a, I've got an exercise bike in the house, so I'll do rather than do an hour out, I'll maybe do half an hour in. Mm. I'll give you another thing I do when I'm really low. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll say to myself, right, I'm going to walk to the front door. And I'll walk to the front door. I'm going to open the door. Yeah. Right, I'm going to walk to that tree. Then I'm going to walk to the next tree, and then I'm going to walk to the next tree, and then I'm going to walk to the next tree. Then I'm going to see if I can walk to the corner of the road. And I kind of just do it like that. I don't say I'm going to go for a long walk. I say I'm going to walk to the next tree. And it kind of helps. It works. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a, a slogan that I sort of imprint on my mind when I'm feeling really bad is read books, not newspapers, listen to music, not the news. Mm. And I do that. I do that. I, I read. I read. Uh, I listen to music. I write, sometimes I write music. Um, so just sort of, you know, these things are all, and then, yeah, you know, I have little, I have all sorts of little tactics that I use. I've got this thing where I rub my thumb and my forefinger together, and I don't know why, it's something that a guy taught me who's a sports psychologist, and it just sort of, it calms me, and it just, I don't know what it is. Just So you've got to find your own thing that helps you. Yeah, Absolutely. I've studied yoga and there are little positions that you can hold your fingers in. They're called mudras and they are, you know, they're good for the they're good for the mind. They're good for the body. And you might be doing something that you sometimes we don't understand. And maybe that person has no knowledge of of, you know, that Eastern philosophy. It might be something else, but mm. these things can just make us feel good. And we don't understand why. But the evidence can sometimes be in how we feel. Um, and if it helps, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, music, you've you've mentioned it a lot, and I know you're you're uh, brilliant on the bagpipes. I've heard you play, and it's gorgeous. And I can imagine they're a tough <laughs> instrument to uh, get right. But um, so you write music, you listen to music, you play music. Is it something you'd like to do more of? I do write bits and bobs. I mean, I, you know, a friend of ours died again during the first lockdown. A guy called George Mackey, and I wrote a. Uh, I wrote a tune for him that I played virtually on mm. the day on the day of the funeral, and so yeah, I do, I do, but I'm not. Listen, I'm not that great. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. 
Um, these guys who are really, really good on the pipes, they're just bloody brilliant. I mean, they're just a different league. It's like, I'd say I was League Two, <laughs> in a, but the guys that are at the top of the sort of Premier League. Hmm. So it is the end of January and, you know, this is a notoriously tough month for people. You know, even if the coronavirus pandemic hadn't happened, it's always a, it's after the Christmas, you know, it's that come down after the high. Um, but it is particularly uh, challenging for people now. And for those who have mental health issues, they're feeling it more than anyone else. And I think collectively we're all feeling it in one way or another. But what would you say to someone who's listening into this conversation now? Um you know, who's who's struggling? Or maybe the question is, what do we need to be doing, all of us, to help um, those who are, 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 are struggling? Well, I think the... I, I do think... I think we've got to think... Of, we've got to flip the way that we think about it all. I think we sometimes look at mental health through a very strange lens. I think we don't... You know, I, I don't think Ireland's that dissimilar to to the UK in this regard, um, we have a mental illness service rather than a mental health service. Mm. And when you get really seriously mentally ill, you might get a bit of help. But we actually should be thinking about how do we look after mental health. And you talk about, you know, and I think it is a societal thing and it's family and it's community. And I think one of the reasons it's so important to be open, I think that is the first step. I think the openness is the first step. Mm. Um, and then I think it's about what we can do for ourselves. So, look, I mean, this government here in the UK, I can't stand them and all sorts of reasons. And one of them is I don't think they get this mental health agenda at all. Mm. And yes, you're right. COVID is making it worse. There's no doubt about that. More, I think people who have pre-existing conditions, mental health conditions, I think if a lot of them are finding it worse. And people who had no, pre, no pre-existing mental health condition, I think they're beginning to... A lot of people beginning to understand what what it means when you you feel your mood changing and you feel powerless over what it's what it's doing and how it's making you feel. Um, and I think a lot of that is about investment in services, but everybody says that, and that's going to become very difficult. So I actually think we've got to do more to look after each other and look after ourselves. And so what I would say to that person is, look. If they're, if they're a part of my circle, part of my friendship, part of my family circle, I would say, look, is there anything that we can do for you? And But also, let's try to work out if there's anything that you can do for yourself. And it might be, it might be that it means, you know, you go and see a doctor and you get medication, you try and get a course of therapy. That might be the answer. Mm. But it might not be. It might actually that, you know, we start to think about changes in the way that you're living and um, but you know, and it's that is easier said when you're kind of like me and you, you know, you've got quite a comfortable lifestyle and all that. I think the the real pressure that's coming down the track in the mental health agenda is going to be linked to the economy, hmm. um, and that's where the government does have to step up. But so do employers. I think employers can do an awful lot. I did an incredible event the other day. I know the banks get a bad rep. But I did an event with the Bank of Ireland the other day where I was doing a talk to 3,000 of their staff Mm. online. And the Bank of Ireland, the chief executive was on the call and she was saying, we are putting the mental health and well-being of our staff at the top of the agenda. Now, it's easy said, but she was actually saying it to the staff. And I was saying to them, you just got to take that and grab it with both hands and then, you know, hold their feet to the fire and making sure that it means something. Yes. Um, it's great. And I think, but I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. It was great yeah. to hear at the top of a bank, the top people in the bank saying, you know, your mental health is going to be our top priority, and your well-being, and it's about rest, and it's about exercise, and it's about cooperation, and it's about looking after each other and looking out for each other. So I think there's, I think there is a lot we can do, and I think from the, you know, the individual, you know, stuff like sleep and stuff like diet. You mentioned yoga. I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of yoga. I've got to be honest because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have this phrase that I use every time that Fiona and Grace, our daughter, 
are doing yoga, which seems to me to be most of the day. <laughs> I, 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 I have this this new mantra, which is yoga is destroying the world. Now, I know it's not true, <laughs> but it is weird how they've just both got completely obsessed with this bloody yoga. Well, yoga is but, life. Well, yoga is life. It's just the living of of the life. It's not just a okay. class. So you know okay. they're doing Listen, it right. <laughs> I'm obviously preaching to their converted, but my point is that. Whether for me it's sport and exercise sure. or yoga or find your thing, you know, whatever it is, yeah. find the thing that makes you feel better within yourself because yeah. that, in the end, is what mental you know, our mental health is how we're feeling inside ourselves. Yes, yes, and that's it. A lot of us have you know that critical voice inside that is sometimes difficult to turn down. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah. No, it's bloody hard. You know, when, yeah. when that little voice inside your head is at you, mm. whether it's telling you, you, you know, <laughs> telling you you can save the world and you're actually Superman or it's telling you that you're, a, you know, useless and hopeless and helpless and you can't do anything. Uh, you can't get out of bed. What's the point of getting out of bed if you can't do anything? When you're at either end of those that scale, it's bloody horrible. And turning that voice, there's a nice way to put it that turning that voice down is very, very hard. Mm. I had it this morning. The thought Did of you? talking to you. Yeah, I, I had that feeling inside me that I wasn't worthy or good enough to have a conversation with you because of the wealth of experience you've had, the life that you've had, the type of work that you've done. It, it was the who do I think I am? You know, that imposter syndrome oh, that Lord. a lot of us experience. But I suppose it's just that, you know, we all have those moments of vulnerability. Uh, and, and these voices, you know, they, they, they chat amongst themselves in your head. But you have to, for me, it's about kind of uh, who's in the driving seat today. And then, then it's where people in your life become incredibly uh, important and I had a bit of a pep talk from my partner this morning who said you know just go with it you'll be grand and stop overthinking yeah you know I think overthinking is a it's that, that's sort of what happens when when I when I get depressed I ruminate I just can't stop yeah. my, my mind sort of tiny little things I can they can consume my mind for like age and it can be it can be a small thing it can be a big thing it's, but it's just the same in intensity. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm going on a trip and I'm lying there thinking, how many shirt, how many shirts should I take? And that can last me an hour, and it's like it feels like crazy. Mm. I really wanted to talk to you about your partner Fiona because you're together 40, 40 years now. Mm, 40, 40, two years, yeah. And you've been through a hell of a lot together, and it sounds like she. She's your rock. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, she's, uh, she's as you know, she's written a chapter in the book about yeah. what, it's, what it's like living with me when I'm singing national anthems to her all day long. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. She's pretty amazing, to be fair. Um, I think if I think there have been several points in our lives together when if either of us had been a bit different, we might have split up. Mm. Uh, but I think we both glad we didn't. She did an interview where she once said, on balance, she said, on balance, I'm glad we've stayed together. Which... So romantic. <laughs> yeah, so romantic, wasn't it? <laughs> on balance. Yeah, on balance. Right. Uh... I'd rather be with him, not with him. But no, she's pretty amazing. She's, yeah, yeah. Um, she's got real sort of values and strengths that are kind of enduring. And, and um... no, I've been very, 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 very lucky on that front. Mm. You know, one of the best things that happened in, in when I was seeing a psychiatrist regularly was that he asked to see Fiona and the kids. Mm. Um, and it was quite interesting. And he, and he actually said, did something which I think was one of the best moment, best things he did. He got them there so as he could tell them they must never, ever blame themselves when I'm depressed. And that that was a turning point. I mm. think that's what's got us into a much easier position. Um, because... I, Fiona used to blame herself, and I used to kind of, I feel bad saying this and admitting this, but I used to go along with that. Okay. You know, she would sort of feel it was her fault that I was depressed, and I'd say, yeah, yeah, well, it probably is. You know, because that's, that's an easier thing to do. Yeah. Um, is that common then, when but, people, you know, like when you're kind of stuck in that victim mentality, you know, it's poor me, it's easier to point yeah. the finger? Yeah. Yeah, and poor me is a very... 
you know, it's easy to do that. You know, it's like, mm. and I think what what she found really hard, and what the kids found hard as well, was that they could see me kind of, you know, at work and able to do it and high functioning. And if the phone went and it was, you know, Tony Blair or the editor of the, I don't know, the Times or something, I could, I could get up for those conversations and then I'd, I'd plunge again. Mm-hmm. because of the energy that was required to sort of get up for the 20 minutes or so you're on the phone. And then they're, they're bound to be thinking, well, how come we can, you know, talk to him, but then he's not talking to us, and particularly Fiona, because, I mean, I, I did manage to get myself up for the kids most of the time, but, um, and I think that's, that, yeah, that must have been horrible. I still feel very guilty about that. Do you? Mm. Yeah. Even though I think she now knows, she understands yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. we sort of got through it. But that was, I think it's the whole thing about, you know, there's a very, very few people in front of whom you are absolutely at ease being both, if you like, physically and emotionally completely naked. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Not many people that, that I would be, you know, happy to be completely emotionally stripped bare. Mm. Um no, you're right that I'm very open about this stuff. But even, even you know, when I did the documentary about about my depression and stuff, and they they gave me this self this sort of um, selfie thing that I, I filmed myself. I didn't want cameras around me all the time, so I was filming myself a lot of the time. Mm. And um, but you know, you don't. Sometimes there are, there are just you know we've all got them. You've got spaces that you don't want other people in. Yeah. Whereas yeah. actually, when you've been together as long as Fiona and I have you know there's, there's kind of no there's no no-go areas and and it's like it's it's taken us it's taken us a long time to get to where we are now that's very inspiring I think for it's it, I'm finding it inspiring listening to you um you know 40 years and uh, and, a, and a challenging 40 years at that but to, to be in a place now where You've grown together so much. Um, I mean, that is that not? I mean, I know we were joking about it earlier on, and um, you know, I was kind of made a quip about the romance your relationship. But that to me is romance. That to me is is real love, being there for each other and not get, not not throwing in the towel. And and I'm sure, as you said, there were times for both of you that 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 could have happened, but you stuck it out. Oh yeah, sure, no, for sure. And I think you know, I honestly, I've, I, you know, we've got friends who've who've, uh, you know, lost a spouse or a partner, as it were. Mm. And <laughs> honestly, I, I keep saying, Fiona, is, I have to die before Fiona. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. I could not function on my own. No way. Okay. She, okay. she could. <laughs> I wouldn't be capable of living on my own. I'm just, I'm just absolutely useless in so many ways and impractical. And um, do you cook? No, you don't cook. Okay. No. Like at all. No. Do you? Not, do you not? You don't want to know about this stuff. Have I? How I ever changed a plug? I wouldn't know how. Okay. <laughs> right. Have I, have I? Have I ever picked up a paintbrush? I wouldn't know how. <laughs> No, I'm absolutely useless. So is she the cook and the handyman about the house? She does pretty much everything. Everything, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't even know I don't even I don't even I don't even know how to I, 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 I voluntarily have no access to our own bank account. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't just uh, so no, she has to. She, I have to go first. Okay, no I don't mean to laugh because that sounds actually like you know. But I'm. It is. It is. It's amusing. But in all seriousness, um, are you? Are I you? Guess I, I yeah. Could, listen. Yeah. I guess I would. I guess I would cope. I'd have to. But you'd have to. Yeah. But I don't. I don't. I don't fancy it on mm. any level at all. No. Sure. 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 I suppose if we're all being honest with ourselves, um, maybe. That would be something that a lot of people would would share your view on that they'd prefer yeah, to guess, be the one that goes you first. Really, yeah, really, really love somebody. Mm, 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 mm. You'd probably say, "Well, actually, no, I think it's better if yeah if, if the other person goes first because then they can be spared the, the loss 
but so there you go i'm not quite a, i'm not the perfect human being obviously none of us are none of us are <laughs> far from it is that something you think of though do you think of that do you think of when it is when your time is going to be is that something that occupies your thoughts uh, not in a big way but i think about i do think about uh, when i'm depressed i think about death a lot okay um yeah i do i do think about it and i think about um and I'm 63 now, so I mean, I'm definitely on the back nine. Um, and you know, my dad. So my dad reached 82. Yeah. I'm a little bit more, but you know. I, and the other thing is, I, I, I don't. I don't want to get decrepit. I really don't. I really could. I'd find that very difficult. I don't want to get COVID. I know that. Oh yeah. Okay. And are you worried about that? It's uh, hard not to be when you've got so many people dying of it. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, we're very careful. We're very, very careful. Yeah, and that's all we can be, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Okay, on something lighter, on music. Um, yeah. You're a music lover. Um, you play it, you write it, you listen to it. What is your favourite song or favourite album of all time? Oh, I kind of change a lot, but I think if I, the one that is most commonly, the one that comes out top most is Jack Brell. Hmm. And it's either, it's, well, it's one of three. It's Ne me quitte pas, hmm. Quand on n'a que l'amour, that's the current leader, or Amsterdam. So it's yeah. one of those three songs. Um, it's, yeah, Jack Brell, I think, is up there. Elvis sometimes sort of nudges him. Right. Um, and there's, there's a particular Elvis. It's the Elvis track of Are You Lonesome Tonight when Elvis corpses with laughter. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad is a huge Elvis fan, so yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the best. And do you know Brilliant. the best thing about it? Mm. Talk about staying calm under pressure. Listen to the backing singers. They don't miss a beat. Yes. Yeah, and then what else do I listen to? I, like, I love Diana Ross. I love Motown. I listen to quite a lot of... Uh, I used to quite... I was into Northern Soul growing up. Mm-hmm. I do listen to a lot of Celtic music. I the band Scarivore and another band Skipinish. I listen to them a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think Jack Brell would be the one. And if you were in the shower and you were in a... I don't know... You were at a four, five, six, and you were in good form. Or no, I'm sure when I'm going up the scale. Sorry, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. It's going down the scale of three, four, I mean, sorry. Um, What what would you sing to put yourself in a good mood if you felt like having a bit of a, you know? Well, listen, I've I've already told you what I do in that. I sing Flower of Scotland, but I I write the lyrics in it. (laughs) Oh, Flower of Shower. How warm you are from the spring. I do that all day long. What else do I sing? I, I sing I sing Frankie Valley quite a lot. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. And I try and do the falsetto voice, but I can't do it. Go on, give it a go. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> and the night begins to turn your head around. And you know you're going to lose more than you found. I can't do it. Keep going. I'm in it. I'm with you. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finally, before I let you go, I've absolutely loved this chat and I'm, I'm so, so grateful to you. But there was another nugget of brilliance in your book, Living Better. And you talk about the jam jar. Mm-hmm. And I'd love, if, if you don't mind maybe talking through it, that with our, our listeners, because I think, again, yeah. it's another one, no more than your scale. It's really practical. And I think for people who are struggling right now, it might just be, it might just land with them as something that might help. Well, I've got it here in my hand. Okay. Because um, I keep it on my desk. Mm. And so this was a little device and, a, and a, an approach, if you like, that was given to me by a woman in Canada that I interviewed for the documentary I made about depression. And yeah. she's a genetics yeah. expert. So we're talking about genetics, whether mental illness is genetic. But she also told me that she was actually a depressive herself. And she uses this jam jar approach to life. So, And I've used it ever since, and it's absolutely brilliant. 
So essentially she says, I've got the jam jar here, right down the bottom, maybe, so my jam jar sitting here is about, it's about one finger tall, it's about three inches. And the bottom is about six, you know, half an inch, which is the sediment. Mm. And then she says, the rest of the jam jar, that's your life, that, that memories go in, events, stuff happens. Most of the stuff that we do, we forget, it leaves no lasting trace. And most of the time, most people, it's all kind of managing okay. She says, what happens when it becomes unmanageable is that, and I'm now screwing the lid off, the lid explodes, the, the jam jar explodes, and it explodes in illness. Mm. And she says, what you need to do is, rather than try and undo what's inside the jam jar, extend the jam, grow the jam jar by adding layers and I've got in front, also in front of me here, I've got the, what I drew as a result of this. So mm. my jam jar goes genes, life, and then I go FFF, which is Fiona Family Friends, MA, which is Meaningful Activity, and that's Meaningful Activity Paid to Make a Living and Meaningful Activity Change the World. Mm. Then I go my fundamentals, diet, sleep, exercise. Then I go the things that matter to me, bagpipes, Burnley Football Club, my dog, scenery, all the stuff, music, Elvis, Brell, hmm. all that stuff. Um, and then I have this thematic stuff, creativity, curiosity, you know, read books, not newspapers, listen to music, not the news, all that sort of stuff. And then at the top of my jam jar, which is now near the roof, is medication and psychiatry. And the thing is, that the reason why this was so important for me was that if you'd have said to me, this lady was in Canada, in Toronto, if you'd have said to me on the flight out, you've been sitting next to me on the flight out, and you'd have said, how do you, how do you deal with your depression? I would have said medication and psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And that would have been my stock answer, whereas now I say, oh, I've got a jam jar, I've got this jam jar, and this is what I've got in my jam jar. And what's been brilliant, you know, Sheila, since, since the book came out, is I've had letters from head teachers who say they do it with kids. I had a, head, a letter... Um, an event I did with an NHS trust where they wanted the staff to devise their own jam jar. I've done it with companies where they do it with their staff. Yeah. And it's just a really, 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 really simple thing that it's a way of forcing yourself to think about how can I look after myself better? And you talk about, you know, having those moments where you question yourself and you, you wonder, are you making you know, are you helping? Are you making a change? What can you do? You're you're doing it. You're doing it in such an important way. And uh, I think the book Living Better is uh, is a must read for anyone, whether you have, you're struggling with your mental health or not, because all of us are being tested collectively, particularly in the now. Um, and and I thank you for, for being, as I knew you would be, completely you, completely yourself, uh, open and honest. I wasn't expecting uh, to be serenaded, but I'm so delighted that you <laughs> went for that. <laughs> So thank you um, for all right. for it and all. Listen, I've got I I, I, can't, I can't let you go without saying that. Go on. If there's anybody out there that can get me an Irish passport, I'm really. <laughs> up. I've got a slight disadvantage. I've got no Irish blood at all. But I honestly <laughs> think I really do think that the Irish government should think of saying the Good Friday Agreement was such a big thing that <laughs> they should give honorary citizenship to anybody who was there. <laughs> In the room at the time. <laughs> I really think that would be a noble thing to do. Well, as you can tell, I really enjoyed the conversation and Alistair Campbell's book, Living Better, is available to buy now. If you like this podcast, please click follow, give a rating or leave a little comment. I'd be so grateful. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.